Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this the real life or is this just a fictional reality? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fictional Reality. I'm your host, James Elliott, and this week I'm pleased to bring you Ariel and Juliana from The Wild Optimists. These two are the masterminds behind the Escape Room in a Box, The Werewolf Experiment, the first Escape Room in a Box to literally kickstart the industry in sort of mail-out mystery games, and I was fortunate enough to be able to snag some of their precious time. They are incredibly busy people and throughout COVID and quarantine has been no exception to that. They are playtesting, they are designing, they are creating, they're talking on panels, they are doing you name it, whatever they can to inspire new ways of playing and they are a blast to talk to. I pretty much just mind them for their history and to find out everything about how they do what they do and uh, how they create such highly praised and awesome experiences so i'm gonna let you go into it but first just make sure you go out and check them out on instagram follow them like them if you're interested in experience design and puzzle experiences finding out new ways of playing to use their tagline then these are the two people you're going to want to keep an eye on so without much further ado i give you the wild optimists all right Welcome to another episode of Fictional Reality. Thank you for joining me today, the Wild Optimists, Ariel and Juliana. How's it going? Pretty well. Thanks for having us on. Oh, thank you for replying to my um, to my invitation. Uh, I will admit it has been, I, this season I was like, I'm going to reach out to all the people that I see doing stuff that I'm really into and just try and talk to them. Um, and uh, so I'm really grateful that you that you responded and came on. Oh, thanks. We're honored to be here. Yes. And the more I talk and uh, the more I'm seeing just how connected everybody is. Um, And I chatted with Chris Waters a little while ago um, from Constructed Adventures. And then he sort of told me about Tommy Haunton. And then, yeah, yeah, I got him on. uh, He's coming on in a little bit. And then I was going through your website today and I see that you have a testimonial from Tommy. We just website. played Tommy's game this afternoon. He was testing out something. So we spent hours this afternoon staring at Tommy's face on Zoom. Oh, wow. Is that um, not Arcana? Something else? Something else. Okay. All right. Very cool. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's get right into it. This is, as I told you before, this is an experienced design podcast. You are uh, experienced designers, puzzle designers. Um, feel free to correct me on the terminology and how you'd like to be addressed. Um, but give us a little bit of a brief rundown about how did you get here? What was your, um, what was the, what brought you into the scene? 
Well, I think it started when we were small. I was like an obsessive, crazy board game player growing up my entire life. And I always, always loved anything to do with puzzles and games. So it definitely came from a lifelong place of passion. I'll let Arielle kind of continue the story. <laughs> I, right, same for me. Um, I don't actually remember it as much. Juliana's family was a bit more Spartan, but all of my childhood friends have been like, oh, that makes so much sense. You just made us play board games all the time. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we came by it naturally. And then Juliana and I were introduced by a friend of ours who said that we were the two most competitive people that he knew. And so we were both pregnant at the time, so he introduced us over a game of werewolf. Um, and for those who don't know, that is a social deduction game where you are trying to figure out who's lying, and it's very combative. Um, and we are pretty sure that he just wanted to see us fight. He's a chaos like, maker. This is going to be funny. <laughs> um, but that isn't what happened. And he swears, he's like, no, I knew you both were like looking for something bigger and this would, you know, you would find it and blah, blah, blah. He wanted to see it. <laughs> All right. And now he's taking a bit of credit. He's like, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, but we will, he did introduce us. So we, we give him all the credit in the world because this wouldn't exist if we hadn't met. So, um, so yeah, and then we both had, uh, we were both out in Los Angeles as writers. Ariel was more in television and I was more in film. So we have that like narrative collaborative creation background. Um, and then escape rooms became a giant thing. <laughs> it was mm. it was such a passion of ours. I, I had my A team that I would always like take to go to uh, the games with. I wasn't on it. She was not on it. <laughs> but enough people kept bailing and Ariel would come and fill in that I was like, oh wait, this girl's really good. She can actually join the A team. So And remember the part about competitive. Yeah. yeah right. Right, right. <laughs> Juliana liked winning. I do like winning. I see. Um, but you Ariel survived the initiation, Ariel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it really just grew out of that, out of our love for escape rooms and our love for board games. And we wanted to play an escape room at home, like a board game night. And at the time, there was nothing on the market that you know, kind of labeled itself as that. There were like at-home puzzle mystery things we have since found out, but mm. when we searched for escape room at home, uh, nothing came up and we were like, this is such a good idea. Like, why doesn't this product exist? Because mm. the people who play escape rooms and the people who play board games are pretty much the same people and there should be a product for them. Yes. Yeah. And the people that play escape rooms and board games are sometimes not the same people as people who just play the board games. So um, right. who would love to do escape rooms, but for whatever reason, they are, uh, maybe they're not as, not as keen on meeting up with their friends in real life. Well, the other thing too, and this is, you know, this is way back in the day and there weren't that many escape rooms. So like, I know some of the reviewers who we sent it to were like, oh my gosh, yes, I did one at Gen Con and there's nothing in my area. Like I would love to do another escape room experience, but there just wasn't one around them. So the idea mm. of one that you could have in your own home was a really appealing thought. Mm. Um, and so you, you came up with this concept. You found that it's a niche that definitely needs to exist, but doesn't. Um, what's the timeline? How, and then, so for the people listening at home, what ended up happening is you launched a Kickstarter 
and you made 10 times your goal? Seven times. Seven, <laughs> sorry. I'm still putting the name of accuracy. <laughs> right, thank you, yeah. Um, uh, it was wildly successful and the story goes on from there. But so uh, run us through that timeline of you've had this idea, um, bring us up to the Kickstarter launch. Well, I can, you know, so November 1st, I texted Juliana and we were talking about the idea and I don't know how, how long did it take you to come over for the play date? We did most of this while we were watching our kids. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was pretty quick cause we were both so excited about it. Like Ariel was a friend, but she wasn't like a absolute, my best friend, but suddenly I was texting her like a hundred times a day being like, <laughs> what if it was this? And what if it was that? And we were just both so enamored of the idea that like the text started then and basically haven't stopped for five years now. <laughs> five years. <laughs> um, so from that text on November 1st, we launched the Kickstarter February 12th, I believe. Oh, wow. That is, that's rapid. That's a rapid. It was, uh, it was fast. And, you know, we did all the design and then we wanted to make sure it got out to reviewers. And I would say that that is one of the best things that we did. Um, just to throw in some advice for anyone who's thinking about doing a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. particularly as first time designers, having reviews of the prototype of our game was extremely important. And I don't know that we would have been successful without it. And, yeah, and, and is that because of the reach of the reviewers or the credibility on your Kickstarter page? A little bit of both. I would say the reach was great. The credibility was needed. Um, a lot of the reviewers said, you know, this sounds like a terrible idea. You can't put an escape room on your table, but sure, why not? I'll give it a look. And then they loved it. Right. So having people say in their review, we thought this was a terrible plan, but actually it works. I, you know, obviously really helped us. Yeah. And the timeline, you know, the fact, it really did help the fact that there were two of us. And so to be able to do it on this sort of crazy expedited timeline, because we would both be going out to separate tests like every night and then comparing notes afterwards and then both working all day to redesign and change everything and then both going out again that night really helped us to do it at a insane pace, but also a pace that was like crazy mm. <laughs> for two years. Yeah, the, pa- the pace was insane, but we, we just felt really strongly. Um, and we were right that the, the idea was so good. Someone else was going to come out with it and we wanted to be first to market and we were. Yeah. And we will always be the first escape room in a box that went to market. And uh, as you've probably seen, and from what I can see, at least on Kickstarter and everywhere else, like the trend is exploded and now the market is flooded with all these different variations on the same theme there yeah which is great because we can't play our own game so we're really happy that there's all of these other escape room at home games that we can play yeah, yeah not so secret thing is that we back pretty much all of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and you want to see what other people are doing hey because yeah other people have good ideas other people have things something i always find interesting is when um you engage with someone else's content and find something that doesn't work, but might've been something that you would have thought of. And it's like, Oh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't do that. Cause I may have done that, but I'm discovering it's not very fun for me to actually do as a player. 
And I've also found too, in playing other people's games, there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, I think the puzzle is this. And I get excited about it. And then that's not at all what the puzzle actually is, but I now have an excellent puzzle idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and on that note, there are, you know, I've played some of the, um, some of the escape room games out there. Um, not yours, unfortunately, not yet. But um, I sort of want to speak to that thought of, of people that think, oh, I wish I had that idea first. And it's not just that you had it first, but that you, you had a product that people enjoyed. And without giving too much away, what, what was your puzzle design process there? Um, just from looking online, from what I can tell, you know, you sort of try and hit a few different marks with different puzzle types and there's a very tactile element to your boxes. And when I see what's inside that you've gone to the effort to have components in there, like locked boxes and whatnot, which I think still compared to what other stuff I've seen out there actually still stands apart from the other stuff that's released. Like there's not too many things with padlocks and locked boxes in them. But there are lots of people making a maybe less expensive to manufacture product, but the the people don't have that tactile response. So, yeah, could you run us through the um, the process for how you design the puzzles and why you made the choices that you did? So we came at this design as people who loved escape rooms and were really passionate about escape rooms. And so for us, it was a question of what do we think is the most exciting thing and what do we love to see the most in escape rooms and that's surprises and unexpected interactions and things like that whereas I think it almost helped us that we had not been game designers before because I think you know a lot of the games that were created by people who were game designers before are people who very intelligently are thinking of what's going to be easy to manufacture and how can I create that experience and so for us it was like the rush that we get from opening up something and suddenly all of this new stuff is revealed Mm. the rush that we get from surprises in games that was where we started that this is what we had to have in the game and then figured out how we could make it a reality. Yeah. I found um, in designing and my other friends who are also designers, I really sort of get along well with people when we, when that it's, you can start with the experience of like, and it, it can be a real pain in the butt sometimes starting from that direction, but you think, well, this is what I want them to feel and experience. And even if it's just one little moment, Um, and then you're like, great, cool. All right. I want them to experience like, um, this beautiful surprise when they twist something in a certain way. And then you, well, I get stuck for like months being like, okay, this is actually really difficult. And if I compromised on that experience, I could finish this. Um, but that there isn't really much of a compromise there. Yeah, I mean, manufacturing the game was an absolute beast and having to get all of these disparate components from all of these separate factories and make sure that they all work together and then that they're all packed in precisely the right place because if the puzzle that you need to open the box is locked inside the box, game over, (laughs) it's ruined. And so it was, you know, it definitely led to a far more complicated manufacturing road for us um, because we did make the first 3000 of the game uh, from the Kickstarter. And, uh, but you know, it was of course in hindsight, all worth it. (laughs) 
Wow. What, what was that like for you, Ariel, making 3,000 <laughs> copies of a game? By hand? <laughs> well, like, what was that process like? I, I appreciate no, that. not by the, hand. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, I appreciate the hands off to me. But um, uh, honestly, I, I want to give Juliana full credit here. Um, I, she did a lot more of the, um, of the database horridness that was keeping track of all this manufacturing. But I'll tell a couple stories. Um, first, our first factory quit on us after the white sample. So you, you know, you get various samples in during the process and the white sample is they, they've just labeled, it's all white. That's why it's the white sample. And they've just labeled everything like this is piece of paper one or piece of paper two. Mm. And, you know, we got it and we sent it back and we're like, well, this was really close, but you know, puzzle two needs to be in box one or, you know, whatever it was. And they quit. It was just well, first like, we went back and forth with them two or three times and okay. just couldn't get it quite right. And then they quit. So, yeah. um, full, you know, full props to product greenhouse who we were working with to work with the factory in China. Um, they, they found us another factory really quickly. Um, and then we kept getting the samples in and for whatever reason, the red locks never worked or like they would only sometimes work and at first we were like well you didn't set the red lock correctly they're like no 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 we did like well something's happening here and they were like well we did a trial a stress test on it it's fine (laughs) like okay but and and we're like but the red locks aren't working like the black ones seem fine Mm. and they're like they're exactly the same lock and like we took apart the locks ourselves and they sure did look the same, but we ended up um, taking all the red locks we had and all the black locks and setting them and putting them in my dryer in a bag um, and just like putting them in the dry, on the dry cycle hmm. and pulling them out. And sure enough, it was like nine out of 10 red locks had reset in the dry cycle and all the black locks were totally fine. <laughs> so we just at like at that point we're like okay well we just have to switch everything out for these black locks you know we don't know why it's different but it is right <laughs> and we can't like have all of these boxes go out and then you know half the locks don't work yeah right and the whole experience does hinge on these tiny little moments and like you said a one piece of paper in the wrong place and the the emotional difference to the player is yeah, the opposite ends of the spectrum there. Whereas, you know, with a game like Monopoly, if something's the wrong color or something, you don't really, it doesn't really yeah, bother. You can call up Hasbro and be like, hey, my, you know, I didn't get a, a, a park place or whatever. And they'll be like, no problem. We'll send you a park place and then you can play the game and it's fine. And if one element is missing in our game, it is a giant problem. <laughs> <laughs> but you've managed to, to successfully solve that problem. It now it's now its own, it's a, it's its own monster, the werewolf <laughs> escape room in a box. Um, can you tell us quickly about how that, how you went from the successful Kickstarter to now it's a game published by Mattel and I imagine it's, they pretty much do most of it now. Yes. Yes. They do all the manufacturing. <laughs> it is the best thing in the world. Wow. Yeah. And we felt, <laughs> super vindicated because Mattel actually came back and told us that this was the most complicated game that they had ever manufactured. And so we felt really, really proud of the fact that we got our first Kickstarter ones out and it was successful and people had a good time playing the game that we're like, okay, 
it wasn't just that it was our first time. This game was insanely complicated and hard to make. Mm. And, we only, and it was only a couple months late, which, you know, for Kickstarter is practically early. Mm. And considering all those other variable factors, like I do know of Kickstarters that have not been successful with seemingly less difficulties involved. I um, will say the Kickstarter community was absolutely lovely as long as you communicate openly with them they're wonderful like we were telling them every step of the way you know hey we put them all in our dryer and this is what happened and now <laughs> we sent pictures we sent pictures <laughs> uh, and the comments were all just like you know we think this is incredible like we're happy to wait in order to get it right like thank mm. you for making this they were so supportive and we are like to this day so grateful for them and I get like as a a backer of projects on Kickstarter, you want the project to succeed. Like you want to give it every chance um, that it can to succeed. So, yeah, the only place I see backers getting upset is just when there's a lack of communication on the whole. So right, and it doesn't take long with that lack of communication to think maybe there's yeah maybe these people are scamming or something like that. So right, yeah. So you um. Now you both work together and your variety of projects that you work on is pretty, it seems pretty varied. Like um, you've been, you do activations at conventions. I see that you've made some puzzle experiences for some movie studios. There's the online Nancy Drew puzzle that came out during quarantine. Like how did you transition into this whole new world of game design? So I think our, you know, we got some very good advice after doing escape room in a box. And, you know, we were sitting there thinking, okay, well, what, what should we do next? And someone said, well, you know, what is your company mandate? What are your goals for the next five years? And so we had to really think about that. Like what was our goal? And we came up with the phrase new ways to play, which I think really underscores all the projects we take. So it's, for us, Escape Room in a Box was something new, and it was super fun, and we still have fun making Escape Room in a Boxes. Um, but as we take on new projects in, you know, from new companies, the thought is, well, what's something new? What's something that either we haven't done, or what is a new take on something that has been done? So, like, Escape Room in a Box was a new take on Escape Rooms, and the Nancy Drew puzzle quest that you mentioned that was originally actually going to be a physical escape room um, in Austin, but there was, you know, this whole global pandemic thing. Mm. Um, so <laughs> what it was instead was a puzzle quest online. And these exist, like there are other puzzle quests online. Uh, and especially now we mm. tried um, and hopefully you can include a link and hopefully it'll still be up, but mm. we tried to put in puzzles that were different and that utilize technology in different ways so that it felt like something new and it was really fun because the cast got involved um so they all did videos that are part of the puzzles and part of the reveals um so that was awesome and so i would say for everything that we've done and julian i don't know if you want to use other examples we always just say is this new you know is this something new and exciting we always want to work on things that are exciting for us because then our passion comes through and that's what makes a good product mm. It seems to be one of the things that like on your website, there's, um, there's lots of great testimonials and people that that is a recurring theme on the testimonials. There is that passion. And speaking as of someone who is sort of, uh, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to think of like a, 
not a loaded word. I'm thinking addicted or obsessed, <laughs> but there's got to be like a a not negative way to say um, that. I you know writing that. Sorry. Enthusiast. Enthusiastic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm enthusiastically interested in that the the new idea. You know when um, you just go oh, and then this, and then this, and then this, this, and this, and then you look it up and you're like, it doesn't exist. Oh my God. Excellent. And <laughs> then you can stay up for like, you know, 20 hours and just give it your all. But I find it, it very quickly for me, um, after about a week of this, then it, it stops becoming so new and, uh, I haven't finished it. And it's like, oh, I think the problem is I don't have a new idea and I'll just go somewhere else and create something new. <laughs> Um, can you relate to that feeling at all? Yeah, I think that's actually one reason why we do such a wide variety of different projects. And so, mm. you know, we might be working on a tabletop mystery game and a digital puzzle game and an actual in real life quest at a convention or a festival. So it's, I personally really love always having something to pivot to that is different. Like if I have been, you know, coming up with puzzles all day for one format and my brain is fried, it's really great to be able to say, okay, and now let me go over here and look at this, you know, fun party game or whatever it is so that you always have something to kind of bounce around between. And I'll say our workflow has, has done very well by that because often we have People think we're the same person and we're not. Um, <laughs> we actually have different skill sets. So there are things that we do together, but at, so we generally brainstorm and come up with the narrative and come up with the puzzles together. But then we are good at different steps. Um, right. So for example, I do anything like design oriented. Um, so all of our like PowerPoint pitch decks, prototypes, that kind of thing I make. Juliana um, does, well, she uh, does all the business stuff, which is so fantastic. Um, <laughs> but she'll often also do the first pass of actually making the puzzles. You know, wow. so we'll talk together about like what that puzzle's going to be. And she'll do the first pass of making the puzzles, whereas I might do the first pass of, you know, writing. Actually, we go back and forth on who writes the narrative based on the voices we want to do, because we both do kind of, we both have a different voice or do different voices better. Mm -hmm. um, so our difference, so we will then once after we've brainstormed and figured out what the next steps are, we'll split it up based on our skill sets. And, and the that, beautiful thing about working with a partner too is that when you get to a point where you're like, oh, this idea that I was so excited about and that was new and shiny a week ago, I hate it now. And I think it is an absolute piece of crap. Like I'm handing it off to you, fix it and make yeah. it better. And so that's a really nice thing about having a partner. Or if you're just having um, writer's block. Yeah. You know, just like, I can't get into this puzzle. Like I can't like, or I can't get into this narrative, right? I just can't even start. Mm. If, you know, sometimes the other person can start it and then that gets everything rolling. Hmm. So maybe I should start engaging my, uh, my other personalities that I've been repressing. <laughs> and, uh, throw off some ideas to them and just let, let the, uh, the, this, the quieter James come out and be like, yes, I'll take this old project off yeah. you. <laughs> well, I also think, and I also think that there's accountability. Right. Yeah. So you start a new project and then you kind of get bored and you want to start something new. And this is like completely normal. And I, I think we both get that feeling all the time, but I'm like, oh crap, 
crap. I told Juliana I finish it though. Mm. So like I need to finish it. And there's also seeing like, oh, she just told me that she finished X, Y, and Z and I'm responsible for ABC, but I see X, Y, and Z coming in. Like I better get on ABC because we're both crazy competitive and it works out well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. You have that drive in you to be like, well, I'm not going to come in second place today. And then so you end up both just being winners. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There can only be one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh excuse me sorry <laughs> um and so with that with all that in mind um that's led you to have this this crazy crazy career that you're that you're going strong on um what does let's get into the nitty-gritty of what does a puzzle designing session look like like um i don't know if this question is too broad feel free to um ask follow-up questions but what makes a good puzzle or where do you start when you think, cool, I've had this idea, um, you know, or we've been contacted by someone, let's make a puzzle. Where do you, what's, what's the blank page look like? Oh, I'm going to work. I think I'd like to start by describing a pre pandemic thing. Cause right now it's a lot of us being on zoom. Um, but we used to meet once a week and it would often be at a place of great baked goods. <laughs> So that's, that's (laughs) the blank slate. Yes. Um, And it's always with desserts or on Zoom, which is not nearly as fun as meeting with desserts. Uh, Yes. Sugar. I see. I see. Sugar. Sugar is the key. I am powered by sugar. That is all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it always, always starts with the narrative. So we, and we love to design within constraints. So it's really fun for us if people come and say I want something in this world but it has to live online it has to be playable by you know thousands of people if they want and it has to interact in this way and then saying okay we know that we're gonna have this and have that so what is a narrative that would make sense for all of these things to be here and why is the player doing what they're doing Mm-hmm. And we all, and we started with that, you know, in our first escape room in a box, we had a lot of talks about like, well, let's not just tell people they're like in a room and locked up. Let's say you're in your living room and you've been delivered this mysterious box. Right. And I know that doesn't sound like so necessarily creative or different, but it was just important to us that the immersion, the immersive conversation. Um, and I think there's been a lot more talk about immersion you know, since then, but the immersive conversation started with something that was believable to people because no one's going to believe that they're locked in their house. Right. Right. And I think that's something that's, that's held true um, in my own personal experiences that you have a lot more fun when you have this context for knowing what you're doing of like, especially in escape rooms. And that has been a big difference to me and something that's hard to be charitable with when you're in an escape room and you're like, what am I, what is this? Like, I know I've got to escape, but I I remember playing one once where I was just like, it was something between an office and a jail and a doctor's studio. And it was just like, is this a real place in the world? Like, I don't, I can't. And it was so strange to be standing physically in a space and your brain just can't attach itself to anything. It's like, it's sort of like a psychiatrist room, but there's this prison cell here. And I know it's an escape, like all it is, is an escape room. And right. I found it very difficult to engage with the narrative, but, you know, then playing a game that 
was arguably a lot a lot simpler in terms of um its manufacturing and and you know the expenses that went into it but it was just it was easy you've been kidnapped by a serial killer and you've committed all the seven deadly sins find out what each sin is and then you can maybe escape if you're worthy and when, then when you get stuck you can go back to the narrative and just be like well i yeah okay cool i sort of know where to look now yeah, and that's our puzzle design starts uh, from the narrative too. So we think like, okay, if you're in this situation, we start with narratively, what are things, what are puzzles that could actually be in your way? Because there are little puzzles that you solve every day, even just like, how do I fit all of the groceries in the trunk of my car <laughs> is like right. a little spatial puzzle. Mm. Um, and so trying to find anything that fits in that way. Um, and then just being inspired by the world and the theme and the materials are essentially the next stage of where our puzzles grow out of. And then I would say, you know, as we're thinking about puzzles, we think a lot about, um, I mean, we, we have a whole puzzle design workshop, which you can check out online at some point. You should be able to, but the, like it, it's going to be posted anyway. Cool. But, um, you know, we think, our biggest tenant is how does the player have fun, right? Right. So very, the answer is never make the puzzle harder. Never, ever is that the answer. Um, <laughs> it, it is often make the puzzle more innovative or more satisfying. You know, so for example, we were working, we're working on a mystery game for Renegade um, Games and we had a one-step clue in the mystery game and we got feedback from the play testers that it felt, it, it wasn't satisfying to them to figure out this one-step clue. So we made it a two-step clue. It's not any more difficult. Everyone is still getting it, but they feel a little smarter about it. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's like, that's making it more satisfying. Yeah, right. Which is, I think it's an elusive it's a very difficult goal for some people. For me, is that that satisfying element, especially when you're dealing with the the population on large. Um, I think I know what the answer is to this, but how do you hone that satisfying element? Um, how do you increase satisfaction, or um, how Julia, do you chase that as a goal? Play testing. Everything yeah. is play testing <laughs> all the time. We play test an insane amount and as much as we can like literally i'm doing this tonight but i think every other night for the next two weeks is all play testing wow um, and mostly two play tests a night yeah because uh, ariel yep on uh, three different games uh, <laughs> four. Oh, four. no we're gonna do we'll discuss yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it's, you know, the, the sort of dirty little secret of design, right, is design doesn't take that long. Mm. You know, you can design a game really fast. It might not be good. It probably won't be good. Um, but you can design a game quickly. Mm. It's playtesting that takes time. It's playtesting and then redesigning based on that playtesting and playtesting more and redesigning more. That's the, that should be the bulk of your time. And you should play test, and people are always like, well, how many play tests? Until it's fun. The answer is just until most people are having fun. Right. And do you have a, a small crew of, uh, of guinea pigs that you mercilessly torture with your first drafts? 
So oh, actually, have... with our very first drafts, yeah, we have specific people. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Aaron and Will, <laughs> who always, always play our, like, terrible first version because they are brilliant puzzle solvers. And right. so they will show us if it's horrifically broken. Like, mm. they will be able to solve things that the average person is never in a million years going to get, but at least we'll know that it is solvable or not right. solvable. Um, so they Can get- we say how we met them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we met Will and Aaron because Will hired us to make a completely customized escape room for him to propose to Aaron. But it had to be done so that she did not know. So cool. it was okay. a whole, it was amazing. So we, so first, of course, we got his Facebook and stuff. That was easy. We spent a lot of time, start, you know, just going through like five years of Facebook hmm. of his. And then we got invited by a mutual friend to a party where I made sure to sit with Erin and become friends with her. <laughs> and I had to pretend I didn't know Will, of course. Having been um, and staring like, at her face for five years. <laughs> and Erin, and yeah, and I didn't know like everything about her. And Erin is wonderful, but like she's, I would say at least at that time, she's like kind of a little shy at first. Like once you get to know her, she's so wonderful. Mm. But I like, she would like go up to go to the bathroom and sit down somewhere else. And I'd be like, I guess I'm going to just move over there. <laughs> hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but by the end of the party, we had become friends enough that she friended me on Facebook and we were able to get them to play test. We weren't actually play testing anymore, but we got them to play test um, Escape Room in a Box, the international edition, so that we could see how they played puzzles together so that we could design the escape room to them. Like if there were puzzles they weren't so good at, or we could also see how good they were at puzzles because it was rather imperative that they beat the escape room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't imagine anything more kinda, than a proposal that's out. like, oh, sorry, you died. And then, and then the guy's just like, oh, and by the way, uh, like, would you yeah. be my... No, yeah. No, not anymore. And then we had to do a whole thing so that they, so that she didn't realize, like, walking into an escape room that was full of pictures of her and her favorite things, mm. that this wasn't turning into a proposal. Right, right. So you had to stay one step ahead of it. So, but you did, you did have personalized elements in there? and Oh, it was entirely. 100% personalized to them. So what we said was, oh, we're actually testing out this new model of escape room that would be like a custom experience. Um, and then we sent out an email, BCC, just to her hmm. saying, hey, friends, we're looking for people who are, you know, in committed relationships to test out this new type of escape room that we're doing. Um, you know, dates are this through this. We had asked him, like, what dates would work. These are the dates that we're playtesting. So if you're free, you know, let us know and, and we'll get you scheduled for this test. Wow. And then we were just, and then we just <laughs> sat there really nervous that she wouldn't reply or, like, had things on the schedule that she hadn't told him about. Mm. But then she did. And yeah. she was like, oh, yeah, you know, Will and I would love to test it out. We we're like, perfect. Thank you guys so much. Like, you know, let's, let's get you in. So even it actually the it went so well that even after the entire customized escape room, the end, we're in the room watching, like crying. He's proposing. <laughs> Amazing. We yeah. come in after and she was like, wow, like, 
thanks for letting Will like hijack your play test and, you know, throw this in at the end. <laughs> we're like, no, no, this is it. Like, this is the thing. He didn't hijack a play test. Oh, wow. And then she got to be, to, to have that moment of like, oh my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> you at the it's table, like, you were talking to me, but you already knew me. <laughs> Oh, no, I know. It was a little sad because then she was like, well, I hope we'll still be friends. And the answer was, of course, because they're awesome and they are our first playtesters on everything because they're also some of the best puzzle puzzlers that we know. So they do the first run. But the thing about puzzle games is, of course, once you've solved it, you can't solve it again. So we have a very wide net of uh, e and a long email list of people we have collected in all sorts of different ways, um, you know, at conventions, people who have playtested our game. Like if we have someone playtest our game and they bring six of their friends with them, we'll be like, oh, do you want to be on the playtest list too? We'll put you on there. Um, and, you know, I think we posted at one point on the enthusiast board when we had something that we could just email out. Um, so we have a, a really wide collection of email lists that we just send out to, to test mm. everything. And different types of people too. So like our, you know, parents from our kids' schools, you know, people from like book clubs, but, you know, we try to test with a wide variety of people who are going to be at different puzzle skill levels because our games are really not i mean they're they're not just for enthusiasts right mm. they're coming out from mattel these are mass market games yeah we strive to have puzzles that are fun and innovative and solvable mm. yeah and a lot of the work that we do that is not you know not our tabletop games but like our you know marketing and pr for tv and film or you know, we work at music festivals and conventions and historical sites, all of these different places, the average person playing is not going to be, you know, a super escape room enthusiast. So you want to make it solvable by a wide spectrum of people. Mm. Mostly you want it also to be enjoyable by people like me who really don't like spending more than five minutes on a puzzle. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. I'm actually, I'm surprised at how much I love making them, but when I'm playing them, I get very frustrated if I'm like, this isn't, this isn't obvious. <laughs> um, but it is interesting to notice what you will work for and what you won't work for. Like um, how, you, you know, puzzles can come along in escape rooms, especially play at home ones where there's no time limit. And if like, I find if I don't know what to do, um, I'm frustrated. But if I do know sort of what to do or that, you know, these two pieces are connected, I can, you spend a lot of time on, on something. Um, we have a friend, uh, Jeb Havens, who's a very good designer who talks about trust. And if he says that if you, if you build trust with the players, so often that's putting very solvable puzzles up front or, you know, or making, just making sure that you don't have leaps of logic or mistakes, particularly at the beginning, mm. then players will go with you. And when you get to that maybe longer or more frustrating puzzle or a puzzle that might've been really frustrating if it was the first thing that they saw, if they trust you and they trust the game, they're much more willing to go on that journey with you. Mm. It, you're reminding me of, um, um, their names have just flew out of my head, but they run society of curiosities and they, uh, run. Oh, yeah, the... we know them. Yasin and uh, Michelle. Thank you. Yes. Um, yeah, they, um, Yassine was talking to me about a very similar process of like, give them some easy wins. And then at about the three quarter mark in their rooms and experiences, 
it gets very difficult. And then toward the end, you know, he, he, and their journey was like, they used to think at the end, you make it really difficult, but they sort of make it difficult about the three quarter mark. And then at the end, it gets easier again, because that's like heaps of fun. Yeah. And it ramps up the energy. And the fact of the matter is it's scientifically proven that you get worse at solving puzzles as a clock is ticking down. And so you want to make sure that that energy stays up and they still feel like they're making progress, even as they are actually getting worse at solving puzzles. So we have a, we have kind of a bell curve of difficulty idea Mm. when designing puzzles of how you want that to flow. Isn't that interesting that you want their lived in experience to be the opposite of like, of, of the sort of the factual state where, yeah, you want them to feel like they, ah, I'm just getting better and better. I'm going to go do another room. <laughs> um, but really they're actually, well, I guess you're fatiguing yourself. Um, I think you are and you are, you know, when we've, when we were playing rooms in the world, uh, I often found that like, it was like the second or third room where I really hit my stride. And then, you know, it would, it could go downhill from there, but I loved, I like playing more than one at once. You like going for the marathons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so how do you know, I guess we'll, we'll begin to wrap up soon cause we're hitting the hour mark. Um, how do you know when it's done? How do you know when you've play tested enough? I know, I know you said before it's when everyone's having fun, but what's your. What's Most your people, you're never going to get everyone. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Like, you know, we watch all of the play tests very carefully and you can see, you know, people, people are kind, obviously when they're talking to you for the most part. Mm. Um, so, you know, mostly people at the end will be like, that was fun. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you can watch their expression throughout and you'll know, were they actually having fun through the whole game? Did they get horribly frustrated in the middle of it? If they did, you're probably going to want to fix that. But if everything was flowing pretty well for most of it, and they really felt like they were having a great experience, it feels ready. Also, when your deadline is right around the corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also, if it's due. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that definitely helps. Actually, that's probably been the thing for me that has been the most helpful in getting anything finished ever is when someone it's been someone else who's contacted me and wants something. And it's like, I finish it. I'm like, wow, I actually can finish things. Even on the yeah. <laughs> um, so if, uh, so for the people out there that, um, that are listening, who are interested in, in getting into this wild world of, of puzzle making and game design and experience design, uh, do you have any handy hints that you'd like to share some, some wisdom from the other side? I'd say, um, you know, the first thing is play. You know, play everything that's out there. Um, there's puzzle books. You should listen. You should be listening to Escape This Podcast, um, which is you know fa- just has fantastic puzzles every week. Mm. Um, when it is safe, play as many escape rooms as you can. Play as many of the escape room, you know, at home escape rooms as you can. Just really educate yourself on what exists and see what feels fun to you and why mm. does it feel fun to you and play with other people and what feels fun to them and why does it feel fun to them? And then just start creating and see, you know, get out there and start play testing. I think you'll learn so quickly in play testing what works and what doesn't work. Um, and then there's and some great. I was just going to say, and when you're play testing, this is hard, particularly for me. But listen, you know, just 
be really open to what people say because often they'll say, well, this puzzle is boring and this is why and this is what you should change. And they may be totally wrong about how they sh you should change it or it may be something you tried already or whatever it is. But if people are giving a note on a thing, particularly if more than one person gives a note on a thing, that thing needs to change. And they might have a good idea on how to do it and they might not, but that thing probably needs to change. Most people will want to tell you how to make your puzzle harder because they're excited that they thought of it. And mm. that is like just feedback you will get a lot. Um, so just be careful. Like maybe it needs to be more innovative. Maybe it needs to be more satisfying. I think it seldom needs to be harder. But here the note, like the note is yeah. the puzzle doesn't feel like enough to me. And so I'm asking, I'm suggesting that you do this thing. Um, but also roomescapeartist.com writes a lot of blog entries on game design, the entire escape room industry, but they have specific ones on game design. Um, Rita Orlov at Post Curious also writes some really fantastic blogs about game design. Check those out. Um, there's Strange a Bird Immersive. Strange Bird Immersive has Immersology. Her blog is wonderful. Oh, great. Um, there's a book called Puzzle Craft. Um, mm -hmm. which walks you through creating all sorts of different puzzles um, and you get to play a bunch of puzzles along the way. So that's mm -hmm. super fun. <laughs> um, and then listen to, you know, podcasts like this one, Room Escape Divas. There's a lot of interesting uh, content out there. Yeah. And it, um, if anyone is listening to this thinking, you know, I, I don't have the money to be able to do all this stuff. Um, good news. A, a, you don't have to, there's so much free stuff out there. So many free games. Um, if you just put a little bit of time into, into looking at them and all of the things that you just said there, um, I've noted them down. I'll put them as links, um, in the bio. So anyone who is listening or watching this, um, yeah, just check out that description. There's heap, there'll be links to all this stuff. The oh, resource. No too. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No a wonderful podcast and resource and they run the everything immersive Facebook page and have all sorts of wonderful content. And, um, and they, they also have a website with a lot of great content. And I believe they currently have a list by um, Cara Mandel and um, some other people of all of the um, digital experiences that they have done during the pandemic and which ones they like and how much they cost. Oh, great. And there are a lot of free ones. Great, yeah. There's no reason why you can't sort of get into it um, immediately. And uh, you've just, speaking of no pro, I just listened to the episode about, um, oh, my recall is terrible at the moment because I'm in podcaster brain, uh, but it's called, I think, Eschaton. Eschaton. I haven't listened to that one. Oh, I th it was, um, a few weeks ago, but it, it was a, oh, I had it up actually. Um, it was like a one night, every Saturday night, there's a nightclub that you go into. It's a zoom based Oh, yes. Actually, Haley from Strange Bird just posted about that. And right. that's, yes. Um, oh, speaking of which, uh, I know I said we we're wrapping up, but I did have one specific other thing. There were some things that we didn't get to cover that I said we would, but we didn't quite get there. Um, but um, Vampire Pizza is running at the moment. Yes. Um, which I think is a very innovative, cool thing um, from what I've seen. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and Spruik and plug it? <laughs> uh sure it's so it's in different cities at different times so it's you know worth going to vampire.pizza and seeing if it is currently in your city um mm -hmm. in the u.s and it is 
a puzzle game that comes with pizza delivered by a vampire and you get to become <laughs> part of you get to fill out like you you know who you would be as a vampire and play a game to join the vampire revolution mm. um and the current game that is out is chapter one and there are many more chapters coming so cool and just a great example of that innovation with working within creative boundaries uh, do you think this would have come about without um the pandemic no this was a hundred percent created in response to the pandemic the uh guys that were working with at ravel rewound they were working on a different project at the time and then you know it got shut down because it was a life experience you know in real life experience and so they pivoted and asked us to come on board and create all the game and narrative for it and it was like yeah everyone is stuck at home right now everyone is looking for an experience and really it's something to look forward to something to have on the calendar that is going to be different and mm. take you out of the everyday because every day is running together in quarantine <laughs> right and um arguably very easy to engage with as well like once you get excited about it and make the order, then even like, even though there's lots of things that are easy to engage with at the moment, still sitting down at your computer and opening a zoom tab is somewhat more difficult than just having the thing arrive at your door and you're sort of forced into immer immersing with this world. So it's been going well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it comes been... with pizza. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, so it's, traveled, it's traveled to LA, Vegas, Philly, and New York so far and, uh, and is still available in some of those places right now, hopefully in August, who knows, uh, mm. but probably should be and should be popping up in other cities as well. Yeah. I think it's a great idea and it's, it's got potential to just be one of those things of like, do you want to just get takeout tonight or do you want to get theater takeout? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's get the theater takeout. Let's, let's do something. Sure. <laughs> Um, well, Ariel and Juliana, thank you so much again for, um, coming onto the podcast. Uh, it's been great talking to you and getting to hear a bit more about your story. Uh, just personally for me, it's, it's awesome. It's very inspiring. So thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you so, you so much for having me. us. This was fun. No worries. And, uh, to people listening at home, yeah, as I said, check the show notes, um, go and check out their website. The, uh, it is wildoptimists.com. Very simple. Um, there's heaps of stuff on there and there's heaps of stuff you can interact with. So thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.